So who has, who has their Christmas shopping done? Serious? We are, we are not done. We're going to go try to finish it on Friday, I think. We, we, didn't, we, we did some online shopping. Matt Carnes is preaching at the Lighthouse currently. He's probably, might be starting to preach around the same time that I am. And uh, I, he, he, sends, he sent me his notes earlier today. And the title of his message, or the title of the series there is called Predicting Jesus. And so it's looking at the prophecies concerning Christ. And so his introduction, he had some, he had some um, famous predictions that did not happen. And one of them was uh, some businessman that was trying to convince some other businessman to not invest in the idea of, of remote shopping. Because they said that re- remote shopping would never take off and that the, the brick and mortar was, was here to stay and that, and that people were not going to want to buy re- remotely. And I want to know, we, we bought, re- I want to tell you, we bought remotely on Black Friday. And I, I think uh, remote shopping is going to continue to grow. Um, they even had some, um, a lawyer, one of the things he had on there, a lawyer for um, Henry Ford's, not Henry Ford, is it, it was Henry Ford that, that created the first? Vehicle, Henry Ford for Ford. It was Henry. Henry, yeah, Henry. Yeah. Henry Ford's lawyer communicated to some other businessman, said, you don't want, you don't want to invest in this because the horse is here to stay. <laughs> that did not work out too good for that man. <laughs> and there's other things about, about cell phones and how the cell phones weren't ever going to take off. Or, and even one prediction was uh, some, some guy in 20th Century Fox said, said, you know, the TVs are just going to have a short life, you know, and people aren't going to want to stare at, at a plywood box all night. <laughs> and uh, that didn't work out too well for them either. That has nothing to do with my message. I just was small talking before. This is why I preach too long, because I small talk too much. So this is not preaching. This is um, talking. Okay, so... We are continuing in our journey through, through the Gospel of John. I feel like we've been here for a long time. Pastor Nate was still the pastor at Living Word Church when we started in the Gospel of John. And, uh, and I believe we'll, probably be, we'll be in here probably until around the 1st of March. And so we are starting chapter 16. And the last time we were preaching on Wednesday through the Gospel of John, Brother Scott Roden preached. And so he finished uh, John 15. And so now we're starting chapter 16, but really it's not really a start, it's a continuation of a conversation. There's a, a chapter, and there's verses that continue, uh, but it's really, that's how the, 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 the compilers of the Bible broke it up into chapters and verses. But it is really a continuation of a conversation in the upper room, and we are hours from Jesus' crucifixion. After we end chapter 16... After Jesus continues to, to, to encourage them and give them warnings about what's going to come, then we're going to get into John 17, which is uh, one of the great chapters. It really is the Lord's Prayer where our Lord Jesus prays for the disciples that are with him, but he prays for all of those that would become disciples because of them, which means he prays for us. And that's John chapter 17. So he's having this conversation in the upper room, and then after he, after he ends talking to them, in their midst, he begins to pray to the Father for them. Because it says in chapter 18 that he left, after he prayed, he left the room and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and that he begins to pray and he's in anguish and then and then the, the disciples don't want to pray and then they fall asleep and then they get and then Judas betrays and and then and the soldiers arrest Jesus and so that's kind of the timeline of where we're at so this is this is in a very crucial time for Christ and a very crucial time for his disciples and they're very confused about what is going on they don't understand what's happening uh, just kind of like we are right we don't understand. We don't, so, you know, I preached that message a couple of weeks back about God's purposes and his plans and how he moves in our lives and in the earth. And sometimes the way God does things don't make sense from an earthly perspective. Is that not true? That is true. We don't always get it. And, and so sometimes we ridicule or, or maybe even think these disciples are just kind of clueless. And, 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 and we forget that we're, we're, clue, we're clueless like them too. That, that they didn't get it, but it was because they're human. And they, it didn't make sense what Jesus was telling them. They, they thought things were supposed to happen in one particular way. That Jesus was going to be an earthly king, set up an earthly kingdom. That's why they're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus starts talking about death. He starts talking about, about going away. And they're just, they don't understand what's happening. And so Jesus is continuing this conversation. And he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to prepare them. He knows what's coming. And we talked about it when Brother Scott preached. In John 15, you have the beginning of John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you abide in me and your words and my words abide in you. And he talks about bearing much fruit. He's talking about love. And and, and then he switches to hate and says that the world's going to hate you because it hated me. And that a servant's not greater than his master. And so it, it, and, and, and then he switches and he begins to try to continue as we go into 16 to, to, to prepare them. And so how many of you, um, I think I was thinking before with my introduction about one train of thought about preparing for war uh, and how soldiers need, need, to, need to be prepared for war. But then when we did the wedding here t- tonight, I thought about preparation for marriage. So I think preparing for marriage and war are a little different. <laughs> You're hopefully not trying to prepare for war uh, when you get married. But just the general idea of being prepared for something that you don't know exactly what's going to take place. And in particular, when you prepare somebody for battle, for war, you have soldiers that you're preparing to go off to battle. You, you know, the, 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 the different branches of service are trying to prepare them for what to expect. But honestly, they don't know what to fully expect because they don't know what the enemy is going to do. The enemy doesn't send a memo and say, hey, by the way, this is what we're going to do. This is our game plan. You know, so they're preparing for the unknown, but they're preparing the soldiers for battle. And this is what I believe Jesus is doing with his disciples right now. They are about to enter into a war with the enemy. And those that are aligned with the enemy, that are, that are, that are against Christ, against the gospel. And they're, about to, and they're about to experience intense persecution. And many of them are going to lose their lives. And so this is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to prepare them for the battles that they're going to face. And so the disciples are unaware of the full ramifications of what they're being prepared for. So let's look at the text in John 16. It's a continuing conversation. And we'll see what we can learn. John 16, 1 through 15 says this. I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Does that remind you of someone? Who does that re- say? It? Paul, Saul, yeah, Saul. Saul, Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul, 
after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sought to kill Christians. And he thought he was doing it to please God. It's exactly what Jesus is describing here. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that, that, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So he's, he's understanding here that they're going to begin to forget what's going on when the heat is turned up. And is it not true? Everyone scattered. When Jesus got arrested and the heat got really hot, everyone scattered. And, and in, the, in the drama of everything, they didn't remember what was going on, but the Lord was going to remind them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him, going to the Father who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That makes no sense to them. To my advantage? How is it my advantage? For, I do, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but, cannot, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what, what is Jesus wanting the disciples to understand about the realities they're about to face? That's the question. What is, in, in saying everything that he said previously in these other chapters, and I know there's a lot of disconnect because we, we've had weeks in between these chapters, but just, that's why I tried to paint this general picture of where we are. What is he trying to say to them hours before his crucifixion? What is he trying to prepare them for? Now, on, on, now, now that's specifically them. What is he trying to prepare them for? Now, on this side of the resurrection, we can see what the twelve could not see. Because we know that Jesus was victorious. He rose from the dead. On this side, we get it. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. And so Jesus was trying to, to prepare them for the unknown and what was about to take place. And so I think there's something that we can understand from the, our position of understanding ultimately now what took place. He was, he was arrested, he was crucified, but he was risen on the third day. He's our risen Savior. And so seeing this, seeing the, the, the parallel between the disciples there and our lives now, what was Jesus teaching them but at the same time teaching us? But just from different points of view. You guys follow me? So what, 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 what was he teaching them or what can we learn? And, and Brother Scott really talked about this last time we preached. The first thing is this, is that we live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. We, we live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. That's what it says there. He said it again in John 15. The world's going to hate you. They hate, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. And then he says this, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And the hour is coming when whoever kills you. Can you imagine that? He's telling them that they're going to be killed. He's looking at them and telling them, those that are going to kill you are going to do it because they think they're honoring God. He just looked, this is such an intimate moment. He's just washed their feet earlier. And they're seeing a, vision, a new idea of who he is. And he looks at him and says, 
There are those that are going to kill you. And they're going to do it because they think they're obeying God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So, so th- th- he's trying to prepare them for the reality that they're, they're, they're going to live in a world that is hostile to Christ. They're, gonna, they're about to live in a world, even though Christ will be raised, even though Christ will show himself to over 500 people after the resurrection, even though Christ, when he walked the earth for over three years, did miracle after miracle after miracle to prove that he was God, even though there was all of this evidence, they will live in a world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us that we live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. The reason the hostility exists is because we live in a time where the idea of knowing absolutes is scorned. And that is true. We live in a world where everything, everything is just kind of fluid. And that, that it's flexible. It's, everything is flexible. Our, our beliefs, are, we're encouraged to be flexible with what we believe. And that you really can't know things for certain. That's, is that, that's, that's, that's what you see? That's what I see. That, that that's, the, that's the idea in our world today. That when somebody comes out and says, this is true, this is right, this, this is the way, people will say, well, well to you, that, that's what it means. And to you, that's, that's, and here's kind of the idea, well, that's your truth. That's your truth. And this is my truth, and that's that person's truth. And so we all have truth, but that does not make sense. None of us can all have truth and all be right at the same time. Does that make sense? How can we all have a truth, but it, we all be right at the same time? There is a reality of ultimate truth, and that, that, that's, that, that, that idea of ultimate truth is not tolerated. But it, that's what we carry as Christians. Is, is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly a message that Jesus is the only way. We saw in John 14, Jesus declared very clearly that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes into the Father, but through me. And because of that message, the message that the early disciples preached, that was a message that that they preached. It was that message they preached, and and they got killed for it. They got persecuted and killed for it. That is the same message that we preach. And so, when we preach that message, sometimes conflict comes. Now, by God's grace, I don't know why it is that we haven't experienced what they experience in America. I can just thank God. We thank God for his mercy. Because we're no better. Hear me. Listen, this is so important. You know, American pride can get the best of us from, from time to time. But we are no better as Americans than any other Christians. We, as American Christians, we are no better. We carry the same gospel that they carried in the early church and that Christians carry around the world today and are persecuted and killed for. We are, we, we are no different. And all we should do is pray for them and we should be thankful. Thank, thank God. Thank you, God, for your mercy. I don't, I, I don't know why, but while we have the freedom, we're going to get busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's convicting. It's challenging when you think about that. So we don't seek conflict. You know, sometimes you get branches of Christianity that it's almost like you're con- they're constantly seeking conflict. You, you see them on YouTube a lot. There's this one guy, uh, Apologia... Uh, Something. He's got a YouTube channel. He's always seeking conflict. And I think the brother's a Christian. I've heard a lot of things that he says, and I think he's a Christian. But it's just this constant antagonism between him and other people. And he's, it's, it's always conflict, conflict, conflict. 
We're not trying to seek conflict with people. That's not what we do when we live as Christians. But whenever we do preach the truth, it is the truth that creates conflict. Because what does, it, what does the truth do in people's lives that are not Christians? It, 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 it brings up a problem. It brings up problems in their life. Whenever you bring up the absolute truth of God's word, it confronts areas. And so we don't seek conflict, but our message creates conflict. Not, not in the sense that we're fighting with other people, but it's the message itself that when it goes into the hearts of a non, into the mind, into the heart of a non-believer, it creates a problem in their life. And they're either going to reject Christ and what God's word is saying, or they're going to receive it. And if they, and, and if they don't receive it, then, then sometimes when they don't receive it, they don't receive us. And that's ultimately what happened on the, on the far end of, of the persecution with the early church and, and, and what we see in other places around the world today is that conflict can ultimately become physical with people where they will persecute you because of the internal conflict that the message that we carry presents in their heart. So we're not trying to seek conflict, but what are we seeking to be? What should we be as Christians? We should spread the gospel. We should be faithful. We're not seeking conflict, but we're seeking to be faithful. I just want to say this to you, that it is so easy to find a lot of false beliefs out there in in our world today. You don't have to, you're just a few clicks away from finding crazy stuff out there. People claiming to be Christians, claiming to be pastors even, just preaching stuff that is not biblical, that is not the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can know the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's revealed in Scripture. And, and you, you see compromise. You see people that, that, are, that, that, that are calling themselves Christians, but they're cozying up to the world. And, 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 and they're lowering their standards because of this desire to not offend the world. And here's what I want us to understand. That as long as we live as Christians in this world, the message we carry, no matter how hard we try to blend in with the world, if we carry the message of the gospel, it will be in conflict with the world. We have to settle that in our thinking. That that's, that's okay. We're not going to be friends with all the non-believers in the world. Again, we're not seeking the conflict. But the, the message produces conflict within them. And so, some people will compromise the truth. Because they feel like, well, well, well if, if I make the non-believer uncomfortable, then, then how am I going to reach them? And my, my, my question is, if they don't become uncomfortable, how are they going to be saved? If they don't become uncomfortable, how are they going to be saved? You have to become uncomfortable in your sin. You have to realize Every person to become a Christian has to realize that the position they're in is in opposition to God. If you don't start there, if you don't start there in your thinking, then there's no road to salvation. You have to realize that your connection with God is broken off because of sin. And if someone doesn't see that, then they can't be saved. And that's why this message will produce that in them. You guys follow me? The world hates us because... because the world doesn't hate us personally, hopefully, because of how we're preaching the message. But they will hate us, as Jesus said, because they hate the conflict that's produced by the gospel. James 4, 1 through 4 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do, you do not ask. You do not 
and, and you, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, listen to this. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does that mean? I, I, I think it means two, two things. It's talking about the world system and the system of belief that's out there. If, if you can't become friends with the system of belief of the world and claim to believe in the system of belief of Scripture, that, that doesn't run parallel. They're, they're, op, they're, they're, they're in opposition to each other. And, and so then also, secondly, I think it means that, that you cannot be, have, have close friendships and relationships as a believer with somebody who is not a believer. How can light have fellowship with darkness? That those that are non-believers in your life as Christians, I'm not saying you have to be unfriendly, but to have covenant relationship with a non-believer doesn't work for us as Christians. Because we, we, we will never, if we really truly live what, what, what we believe as Christians, we will never truly be close with those who are non-believers because our life will be a testimony to who they are not and, and what they should be. You, you guys follow me? So, what are the basics of the gospel? Because the enemy creates new ways to package false gospels. What is, this, what is the core of this message? And this will help you, and I've said this before in the past, but this will help us for, to, to be able to recognize and to see messages that are false. What is this message that we carry that is in conflict with the world? What is this message that we carry that causes those who are non-believers to ultimately not like us, or even, as Jesus said, to hate us? What is this message that the, that the disciples carried that caused non-believers to kill them and think they were pleasing God? Well, here's the message. This is the basics of the gospel. Sinful humanity. Sinful by nature. That's where you start. Sinful humanity. Sinful by nature. Not just people who sin. Sin does not send you to hell. Dying in a sinful position sends you to hell because your nature is sinful. You guys follow me? Because if sin sends us to hell, well then, I mean, your pastor might go there because <laughs> I'm not always perfect. Well, I'm never perfect, just like you're never perfect. So, so it's not the sins that you sin that send you to hell. It's your position apart from Christ as a non-believer. Your sinful nature, if that sinful nature is not dealt with, that will send you to hell. So that's where we start. Sinful humanity, sinful by nature. What's the second basics of, basic of the gospel? Holy God. Sinful nature, sinful humanity, holy God. God cannot tolerate sin. So sin and God are like oil and water. They can't come together. There's no unity. This is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where it starts. Sinful humanity and holy God. And and so here's the problem, the next basic. Sinful humanity is unable to remedy their sin problem. There's a problem. How can a sinful person be reconciled to a holy God? How can I be in relationship with God? That's the problem. Sinful humanity, holy God, there must be reconciliation. Well, here's the answer. Jesus came in the flesh to become the substitute for sinful humanity. We had no way of saving ourselves. Next Part of this basics is this. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God by dying on the cross. And then next, Jesus is raised on the third day. He sealed the work of redemption through rising from the dead. Had he not 
risen from the dead, then his death would have been in vain. But he rose from the dead, proving that he had power over death, over sin, and over the grave. Jesus was risen on the third day. And here's the last part of the basics of the gospel. If anyone believes and confesses Jesus is Lord, they'll be saved. That's the basics. And if you go through that list right there, and you listen closely to what people talk. I was listening to somebody today on YouTube, and this is what they said, that Jesus did not satisfy the wrath of God, and that Jesus didn't come to become a substitute for sinful humanity. I mean, he said it. I showed it to my wife. It's exactly what he said. He said that, that God's wrath did not need to be satisfied because of sin. And this is a pastor of a mega church somewhere. Thousands of people attend his church. And he was like just out front with it. And uh, so it's like you just, you'll see it everywhere. Think about all the false teachings that are, that are out there. Sinful humanity. You start right there. There, there. there are so many false teachings out there that man's basically good. That we're just trying to, to, to come to the realization of who we really are. And if we come to the realization of who we really are, of our inherent goodness, then we'll be closer to God. I mean, there's forms of false Christianity that kind of teach that. That holy God, this idea that God is holy and can't tolerate sin. People like to say, well, well this picture of God being angry at sin, that's not a, a biblical picture. And I'm thinking, what Bible do you read? You must not read the, the, the Old and New Testament. That's the only Bible that I have. And it seems like God really judges sin in Scripture. Sin, sinful humanity unable to remedy their sin problem. A lot of false messages out there are going to tell you that, that you really can. That you can remedy your problem. That the power is within you. That you, gotta, that, that, that you don't have to look outward for help. That it's within you. That, that you can fix your life. Fix your problems. Your sin problems. And I could go on and on and on there. But these are the basics. And this is the basics of the message of the gospel that will ultimately cause people to not like us. But this is what we preach. This is the basics of what we preach. And this is what I believe. This is the reason why I believe the world doesn't like us. Because when we preach this as truth, the, the world, when they're confronted with the reality of who they are, they're not going to like it. And they're going to reject us because of what we carry. They'll reject us because of what we carry. Because of the immense, the immense pressure from the enemy and his evil world system, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you believe that? I'm painting this heavy picture for you because I want you to feel what, where, where we are. Like this is where we are. This is the reality of where we live in. And because of this, this immense pressure, and I, it is immense pressure. We live in a bubble right now in South Louisiana and Homa. But you go to other places of the country and there's a lot of pressure to compromise the truth of that basic message that I just put out there. And we need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to stand for what is true and right. And this is the second thing that, that Jesus tells them that they need. And this is what we need. We need, number two, the Holy Spirit's power to be bold witnesses. We need the Holy Spirit's power to be bold witnesses. Why? Because of what I said in our first point. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. Because we live in a world that's hostile to the gospel, secondly, we need the Holy Spirit's power to be bold witnesses. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples in the upper room. You're about to experience conflict because of everything you know about me. Because of everything you know about me now and because of what you will know about me after the resurrection, you are going to experience conflict and you will need the Holy Spirit's power 
to be bold witnesses. And this is what he says there in the text in John 16. He says, I'm going away, but it's, it's beneficial for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then what's he saying there? I'm not, he's basically saying, I'm not going to be raised. If I'm not raised and everything that, that I've been building here is fruitless. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come, then that means I have not gone to the Father. And if I have not gone to the Father in resurrection, then all of this was for nothing. It's beneficial that I go away. John 16, let's go back to the text. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Uh, but because I have said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. I tell you the truth. It is for, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do, they do not believe in me. Because, because, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the rule of this world is judged. And so the Holy Spirit, because, because Jesus goes away, because he's resurrected and he sends to the Father and he gives us in Matthew 28 the great commission. And he says, I will be with you always. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He calls us to be powerful witnesses for him. And we're going to look at that in a second in Acts 2. But, but here's what the Holy Spirit does through us. He says it right there. He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what is he saying there? What, what does the Holy Spirit do when he convicts the world about sin? It's, it's this. It's the sin of not believing in Jesus as the Son of God. That's what, it, that's what it said there. It said there, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. It says uh, um, there, it says concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. And so this is, this is what the Holy Spirit does through us, through the life of the believer. When we preach the message about Jesus being the Son of God, the world is convicted concerning that sin. What is the greatest sin that anyone can ultimately commit in this life? You can shout it out. Unbelief. That, that's it. Like We like to think of other sins as the greater sins, right? Homosexuality, murder. We look at those sins and we say, well, those are the really big sins and lying and all these other ones, you know, uh, greed and, and slander and all that. Well, those really aren't as big as those other ones. Well, ultimately, all sins are big, but the greatest sin is dying in unbelief. The greatest sin is to die in a state of unbelief. And when the Holy Spirit comes and fills believers, as we are all filled as, as Christians, when we preach the gospel message, it confronts their sin, as Jesus said, of their unbelief in Jesus as the Son of God. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. The greatest job of the Holy Spirit was to be, was to be like John the Baptist was, a forerunner for Christ, a point to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So if you ever want to know if the Holy Spirit is in something, you look at messages that are preached, you look at churches and what they do, what are they pointing to? Who, do, who does it exalt? The Holy Spirit's role is to exalt Christ. When Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, what was the purpose of that? To glorify Christ. To glorify Christ. So, so that's what the Holy Spirit came to do and he does it through us. He does it through us. And then it says there, righteousness, to convict the world of sin and then of righteousness. And it, and it says that, it says this, this is, this is an interesting way that Jesus phrases this, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. 
So what is he saying there? That the, he's saying the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. And then he says, I'm going away and you'll see me no longer. Because I'm going away, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. What was Jesus when he walked the earth? He was the perfect reflection of righteousness. And so what did Jesus do when he walked the earth around the religious people of the day? He confronted their false righteousness, their self-righteousness. And that's ultimately what people do in life. They try to create their own righteousness to be right with God. And so Jesus, when he walked the earth, showed everyone and told everyone, he confronted the the, the self-righteous system of people trying to to, to please God in their own strength. And And he declared himself to be the only way to be made righteous. So what he's saying here is that when he goes away, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. It's, 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 it's a step here. It's the, the sin of unbelief of Jesus is the only way. It's, and, and then secondly, it's the sin of thinking that you can be right on your own. That's the basics of the gospel again. This idea that you can become right apart from believing in Jesus Christ. You can become right with the Holy God. Sin, righteousness, and then lastly, judgment. This is the Holy Spirit's job, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and lastly, judgment. And what's he saying there? It's the reality that Satan has been judged and defeated. That's what he says there in verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so this is, this is this, there's, there's a judgment on those who reject Christ as the only way to God try to become righteous in their own strength and adopt the ways of the world. You know, the world makes judgments. The world makes judgments about life, about ultimate reality. And they say, this is right, this is wrong. They say, this is what we should value, this is what we should not value. And what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgments and and the judgments that the world makes and the judgment that Satan makes. And he says that the ruler of this world has been judged. He's been defeated in Christ. And this is the Holy Spirit's job. He points to Christ. He points to only one way to be righteous. And he exposes the world's failed system. You guys follow me? Some, some confusing language there. It took me a while to kind of unpack that. But that's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's role. And how does he do that? I'm going to say something that is challenging to you. I said it to Estelle uh, earlier. So I'm going to have to unpack it slowly for us all. But the Holy Spirit does not work in the life of an unbeliever like he works in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit does not work in the life of of an unbeliever apart from us. That's right. He, He can't. The Holy Spirit only dwells in who? A believer. So there's kind of this idea that we have that that the Holy Spirit is going around just randomly working in the lives of unbelievers to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But we know from Scripture that the believer indwells those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what that does, this understanding, this biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit's role. It, It puts a burden on us to be willing vessels, to be bold witnesses. Because if the world's going to know the truth about sin, unbelief in Jesus, how to be right with God, and the the judgment against a failed world system, if they're going to know that, it's going to be because we do what? We preach the gospel. 
It's going to be because we preach the gospel. It's going to be because we live lives that testify to the gospel. So when a non-believer comes around a Christian, the gospel is preached through their words and through their life. And then they're convicted. Then the Holy Spirit has something to work on in their life because the Holy Spirit is using the gospel that is preached through your life. Do you guys follow me? That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. He uses us. How does the Holy Spirit convict the world concerning who Jesus is? The way to be right before God and its false beliefs about truth and reality. How does he do that? Acts chapter 2. I just want to read this real quickly. This is on the day of Pentecost. This is, this is when the Holy Spirit came. This is after the resurrection. This is what Jesus promised when we read in John 16. He, he promised the Spirit was going to come. And what happened right after the Spirit came? The first New Testament sermon was preached, Acts 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He said, I'm about to talk. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's preaching the truth about who Christ is. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Now the Holy Spirit had something to work on. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit's power rides on the gospel message. If you want to picture it like the gospel message is going across in the air, right? The Spirit's power works in the gospel message and it penetrates the ears and the heart of the non-believer. And what does it do? It cuts to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We've got a problem, brothers. We're guilty. God's holy. We crucified the Savior. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The world's going to hate us because of this message. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold witnesses. Therefore, 2 Corinthians says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away, the new has come. All this reconciliation that we experience is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And listen to this, I, I underline these This is what we're called to do. He gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. He gave us, he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, he gave, he entrusted. We are now ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal how does the Holy Spirit work in the life of the, of the non-believer? Through us. Through us. Through me. Through you. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Amen? That's what we're called to do. We need the power. Thinking what they were about to experience and knowing what we experience today and what we could experience in persecution. The world hates us because of our message. There's conflict that's there. So that shows us even more that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. To be bold witnesses. And then lastly, we need the Holy Spirit's illuminating work in our life. We need the Holy Spirit's illuminating work in our life. That's what he kind of concludes this section here with. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He delivers truth. He reminds us of truth. Now, there's a difference between the, whole, the, the, the disciples then and us now. Obviously, time and location. But when you think about what Jesus is saying to them right then, he's telling them all these things that I've spoken to you, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you. Now, that was a promise specific, specifically to them right there. But now, on this side of the resurrection and on this side of a, of a closed canon of Scripture, the Holy Spirit does for them... What he, he does for us what he did for them, but he does it with God's word. How many of you know, when you get into God's word, sometimes you're just like, I just don't get that. I don't understand this. I, I, I just, it's not making sense. Well, this is what happens. If you will stay faithful in God's word, and, and, and before you go into reading God's word, pray. Say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm going to read this morning or this evening, this afternoon when, when I'm in your word. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Just as he reminded the early disciples all that God, that Jesus spoke to them, he reminded them. And then they wrote those things so that we could be reminded by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that not good? The Holy Spirit reminded them of what Jesus said and they wrote it in the Gospels so that we could be reminded from the, whole, from the Holy Spirit of the same things. That's so powerful. We're connected in that way. For us, the promise is that we get the teaching of, of Jesus through them. The Holy Spirit will work to, to illuminate God's word to us. And he will guide us in truth. He will remind us of the truth of scripture. I need that in my life. Do you need that in your life? There's so many moments I face in life that we experience challenges and questions. As we said earlier, right after prayer or right before prayer, we just have so many decisions that we make. We need to be reminded of the truth of God's word when we face situations. We need the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And we're so, I'm so thankful that we have that illuminating work. What does it mean for something to be illuminated? the light turned on you feel in darkness about something the the holy spirit turns the light on and you get it and you understand it now some of you that 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 happens hopefully hopefully it happens when i'm preaching hopefully hopefully the holy spirit's using my words as i'm explaining the bible and the holy spirit illuminates and the light comes on and you get something and you understand it that's that's one of my roles is is to is to allow the holy spirit i surrender to him and, and i say holy spirit use me as i Preach your word so that the light will come on for somebody. And, and I get that often. People will text me and say, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for explaining that. Or, or this spoke to my heart here and there. You know, when you think about it on a Sunday morning, right now we have, we have about 50 people here. On a Sunday morning, we'll have a thousand plus people here. Think about all the different needs, all the different situations, all the different questions that, that, that come in on a Sunday morning. I can't meet all of those needs. I mean, I'm, I'm weak, I'm frail, I have limited understanding. I, I struggle with my understanding. I'm like, Lord, how is it that you use me? I mean, I, I just can't believe that. And so we need the Holy Spirit. One of, uh, uh, a famous preacher in history named Charles Spurgeon uh, at, at his church in London, he had these tall, long, a lot of flights of stairs that he would walk up to get to the pulpit, and the pulpit would be way up high. And so he is quoted as saying that every time he'd walk up the steps, with, with every step, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
And that's how I feel. I've even, I've even thought after I read that we need more stairs here at Living Word Church. Is that I need to remind myself I believe in the Holy Spirit. That, that this is not me. This is not about me. This is not me and my ability to convince people of anything. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses God's word to meet all of your needs. To answer all of your questions. That's the illuminating work of the Spirit through the word. Psalms 119, a great psalm. It's a lot of verses. But it's a great psalm. It's all about God's word. Listen to this, Psalms 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. That's illumination. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Think about that. That's such a beautiful verse there. Think about that as we come. That's what, you know, we should encourage each other with that before we hear God's word taught on Wednesdays and Sundays. We should pray that. We should say that. Open my eyes and I may behold wondrous things out of your law, out of your word. Continue on in Psalms 119. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. That's illumination. Make me understand. Help me to understand. Holy Spirit, illuminate the way of your precepts, of your words, of your law. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. Continuing in Psalms 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I will keep it to the end. Teach me. Verse 34 says, give me understanding. That's, a, that's illumination. Help me to understand. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understandings that I may live. You guys, you, you, I don't know if you caught some, some things that were said there in Psalm 119. We make a plea to understand. I'm closing right here. Listen. We make a plea to understand. Open my eyes. Make me understand. Teach me. Give me understanding. I'm your servant. Give me understanding that I may know. I want to know. Help me understand. Help me understand. Help me understand. So that what? That last verse there. That I may live. We're not seeking il- illumination so that we can just understand and have a bunch of head knowledge. We're seeking illumination and understanding so that it will transform the way we live, so that when we live in a hostile world who doesn't like our message, that our life is a true testimony of the gospel, and so that we can be bold witnesses. You guys follow? That's why it's so important what Jesus was saying about the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit works in our life as believers to help us to understand the word of God and thereby be transformed by it so that we can stand up tall and true in the midst of a hostile world. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word here tonight. God, thank you that your word is true. Thank you that what you, what you prayed in John 17, as we're going to study it here in the next few weeks, Lord, you said in John 17, as you prayed to, to, to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Lord, I thank you that that is the truth of your word, that you illuminate in our hearts, that transforms our lives and gives us the courage to preach the truth of your word, to be bold witnesses in the midst of a, of a world that is, that, is, that is lost, a world that is confused and has been lied to by an evil world system that's motivated by Satan. Help us to speak the truth with compassion and with boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.